Hi, I'm Jane. And I'm Hugh. And you are listening to That'll Teach You. Hi, Jane. How are you? Hi, Hugh. How are you doing? I'm great. You seem very excited this morning. I am absolutely (laughs) thrilled to announce we have yet another guest, a former lecturer of mine. So we have Jen O'Sullivan, lecturer in literacy for Marino. So hi, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi Hugh, hi Jane, delighted to be here, thanks for having me on. No, it's great because even, I, I actually feel like I've, I've kind of regressed into being a student again, <laughs> which is which is a very positive thing, you know, it kind of puts me into what it's like to be a child when they go back to school or when they meet their teacher, but um, but no, it's, it's, it's great to see you um, outside of Marino. <laughs> Absolutely, I hope they're 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 fond memories. Oh, absolutely! You know, I always loved your lectures. I mean, I'm expecting both of you to dish the dirt on the other. I'll be honest. You know? like, this is where we get all the gossip. I think we we'll save that for another. We'll save that I was gonna say you podcast. must be sworn sworn to secrecy. I hope. <laughs> Call confidential. <laughs> no, no. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, so, hey, why, why, why are we here today? Well, I suppose we're we're very interested in in reading, and I know your literacy is very much your thing. And so we thought we'd. There's so many aspects of literacy that we'd love to talk to you about, but to focus today just on going back to school, one of the things we've recommended to a lot of teachers in our first few episodes is that they start straight away, that they start reading to the children, that they start a novel or some sort of read aloud activity with the kids. And I suppose we're looking to get your thoughts on on why that's so beneficial and maybe some tips as to um, as to how they might do that. Before we get into that, can you just give us a little background on, on your own career on your own experience? Sure. So I taught in a Deshband 1 school for a junior school for about seven years before I joined Marino as a, an assistant lecturer in literacy. So I've been there for the last 12 years and during that time I've completed a master's in reading, I've completed my PhD in the area of reading as well. So really this whole area is uh, sadly it is my life. My daughter keeps telling me I'm, I'm a book nerd. Uh, as you can see all the books behind me. I was going to say video, it's a great so bookcase yeah yeah so I just I'm really immersed in this space Uh, and last year I was lucky enough to get a Fulbright scholarship and I went over to Florida and I spent three months with the Florida Center for Reading Research so just immersed myself in the sheer wisdom and expertise of the reading researchers over there which was a phenomenal experience so hopefully I got to bring some of that back to my work in literacy as well because it is, as you said, Hugh, it is a huge, huge, very, very complex area. And as you said, we're only touching on read alouds. You know, we're not even looking at oral language or writing, and we're only looking at one aspect of even reading. So you can see why it can be a very overwhelming subject area for for many teachers in terms of where to start making sure they're covering what they need to be covering because it's such an important subject it it affects every other subject of the curriculum if i can't read proficiently i'm not going to be able to use my reading skills to learn particularly at the senior end of the school we start to see where those problems arise when children have to do much more independent reading and and learn from reading, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one as well, because when I, I, so I did the PME in Hibernia a few years back, and I remember on my final placement, I was in sixth class, and I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'll, I'll do a novel with them. And I went to Stillorgan Library, and I got 27 copies of I Am David, mm-hmm. you know, and which I shouldn't really say I still have, because... <laughs> Covid came along, right? No, 
bear with me here. I didn't intend on telling this. COVID came along and my placement of, of 10 weeks became nine days. But And uh, and I, I had the box there and then I was getting emails from Stadorgan. I said, I must go and do that. Then I went to the library. It's gone. Stadorgan Library has been knocked down. So I've had them for so long that the entire library has disappeared. So I promise I will get them back if the Dublin Library Service are listening. Um, I will get them back. But I suppose I thought that's how I'll do it. And every child will get a book. And we'll read it together and they'll take it in turns to read. And I'm sure there are benefits to that, I suppose. But it's also quite a complicated way to approach a book because you have kids who are flicking ahead. You have kids who've read the book before. You have kids who, you know, really aren't comfortable with with just or used to reading, I suppose. And then when I started teaching the following year, a friend and colleague of mine said, you just read the novel to them. You know, read the novel to them. They love being read to you. You can do so much more with them. I suppose... Maybe that is a first question in terms of the difference between those two approaches. What what would your opinion be on those? When we're looking at children reading, we're we're trying to do a number of things as teachers, and this is where the complexity arises. We're trying to teach them to learn to read. At the senior end, end of the class, then we're getting them to learn to read to learn and then we're also trying to cultivate a love of reading in our students as well so there's a lot of different things going on and we're really trying to I suppose use different texts for each of those different purposes and I suppose that's the first thing you need to ask when you're looking at read alouds is what is the purpose Mm. why why am I approaching it this way what do I want the children to learn so there are two different types of read alouds almost there's that read aloud that it was my favorite time of the day, you know, maybe five minutes before home time. We're all just going to sit, teacher's going to read a chapter, going to read a picture book to the children. They're literally just enjoying it. You know, there's no instruction. There's no, you have to listen. I'm going to ask you loads of questions at the end. I'm just reading you a, a novel, say, in the, in the senior classes. Then we have what we call sort of the interactive read aloud, or you might hear it called shared reading where we have a purpose where we want to teach a particular reading skill. Maybe it's a comprehension strategy. Maybe we want to do some close reading of a text or look at grammar or sentence structure. So I suppose that's the first thing you have to do is look at, is my purpose a read aloud? Which, what your purpose there is really, you're trying to cultivate a love of reading. You might be trying to establish a relationship with the class. It may be that, look, I just want to settle the class down for 10 minutes after yard and then I can get on with something else. So, you know, you just want to stimulate interest. You just want to hear language and hear complicated sentence structure. So then we have the other purpose for shared reading, which is I want to teach something using this text. And where this gets even more complicated is even that looks different between younger pupils and and more and older pupils. So if I have junior infants to first class, I am going to be doing those kind of read alouds. I'm going to be reading to the children because they don't have the reading skills to tackle nice rich literature, I suppose. So I'm going to have to deliver that to them. However, what the research is saying, and particularly Timothy Shanahan does a lot of work on this in the senior end, really what you want them, the children to be doing is you want them to be doing the reading. Even if they're going to be challenged by it and struggle and trip over it, there's even research now saying that they should all be on the same text. So for years we thought, well, if I have a child who struggle, I'm going to obviously put them on a, an easier, simpler text and challenge those who need a more difficult text. 
But what we're saying now is in the in the research is we should be using the one text. So say the I am David. But what I'm going to do is support those who need the support in a much more intensive way. So I'll pull a little group who need more help to tackle that text. Uh, I will pull them separately while the others kind of get on with the reading. So. Okay, that's an awful lot of information. <laughs> I realize I've just kind of thrown at you there. So it really goes back to purpose. What is the purpose for my read aloud? And I think we have to move away from that. The teacher does the reading for the children, particularly up at the sort of fifth and sixth. You know, we want them to be doing the reading. We want them to also be doing a lot of silent reading and them tackling these challenging texts, but ensuring that we're giving the scaffolding and the support that they need to be able to, to tackle these types of texts. Yeah, in the last couple of years I've been teaching sixth class and I still have read novels aloud. And I suppose the benefit I have found, and you've kind of touched on it there, is that, and we might talk about how you select a book later on, because you're you're always, to, to some extent, the, the children who might have lower reading or comprehension abilities, you know, they need to be involved as well. And so when selecting a book, I think, I've read Animal Farm the last couple of years and I've read that aloud to them, oh. which obviously a, a lot of them say, oh, but my brother or sister are doing this in first year and in secondary school. And I say, well, listen, if you can do it in first year, you can do it in sixth class, you know. But I suppose it would be quite a challenging one maybe to give to them themselves to read. Now, I'm very much using that as a text to base lessons off as well, base homework assignments, you know. But in fact, one of the children came up to me last year who wouldn't necessarily be the most confident reader. But she said, well... Mr. O'Connor, so I'm listening to Animal Farm and I kind of find it hard when we're doing it in school to understand everything. But then when I go home, I listen to it again on audiobook, you know, and so then I get a better idea. And I was like, I mean, <laughs> what a wonderful <laughs> yeah. student you are, you know. Dedication. Yeah. But I remember in third class, when I was teaching in third class, and again, I had a child and here there would have been an issue with English not being her first language. And yeah. found it really hard to read and really hard to get into things. We tried all sorts of different things. And I worked with the parents. We tried audiobooks. We tried different types of books. But then when, when I read a book to the class, again, she then went, she bought the book. She read it herself. Because, again, there's such a value in knowing the story. And therefore, it becomes much easier to, yeah. to go along with it and to understand it. So I suppose there can still be a benefit to reading aloud to the older classes. But yeah, I suppose, it, as you say, it depends on what you're trying to achieve with the, with the activity. Yeah, it goes back to, to that purpose piece. And I suppose what we're trying to do uh, in the senior schools, we're still trying to, in the senior classes, we're still trying to work on their reading skills. And in order to work on them, they have to be doing the, a lot of the reading yeah. and building up that stamina for reading. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we just leave them off. I want you to read chapter one, off you go mm -hmm. now. You know, we're doing all of that movement around the class. We very much know the children who we think are going to need support. We're checking in with them. Sometimes it's nice as they're reading silently to just you know sit down beside a, a, a pupil and say just continue on reading a whisper reading for me so they don't go back to the start just from wherever they are in the text they just whisper read aloud sort of for you to hear and again you start to pick up very quickly you know are they stumbling over words is their vocabulary they don't understand you can throw in a little comprehension question just based on what they've read aloud to you so the idea is trying to make sure that they're doing the majority mm. of that reading work because we're trying to teach all of these comprehension skills and a child might, you know, you might put up a little passage, they read it and answer a few questions. But what we really want to see is, you know, if they are challenged with a novel, 
can they read that and then apply these strategies themselves while they're reading independently? And if we don't give them that chance to do the reading, are we really assessing whether they can do these comprehension strategies or not? Or do we go, oh yeah, okay, they connected with this little piece of text I gave them, or they made an inference here, can I tick this box and go on? Mm. What we really want to see is that deep, active reading, that they're applying these strategies when they're reading themselves, and then we're identifying, of course, those children who aren't or who, who can't. And the nice thing I think about the senior classes is they're a lot more aware of what they can do and what they can't do, as opposed to the junior at end of the school. You know, they almost don't know what they don't know at that stage. Yeah. Where the senior, you can have kind of nice deeper conversations how did you get on with that did you find that challenging how could I make it easier and I don't think absolutely there's absolutely no harm in that lovely reading aloud to children but I suppose again coming from the research the idea is to make sure that that's not eating into your sort of English time mm. and then in terms of book choice I mean there's some really really brilliant resources out there that 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 we can use um I don't know if you know um children's books Ireland mm. they have uh, yeah. their website is amazing and in particular if you look at their reading guides they're fantastic and they've categorized them into the most beautiful categories so there's like celebrating difference there's starting school there's one on rhymes there's one for grief and they have just so many suggestions and a quick little synopsis the senior end of the school I think it's really lovely uh, talking about going back to school I think at the start of the year it's lovely to do a reading survey with your class mm. uh, it can be written or it can be oral you know have a conversation about what do they like to read what types of texts what types of authors do they really really like now of course some of them may not necessarily be suitable to bring into the class but you'll get an idea you know do they like fantasy so I might bring in some Philip Pullman for example you know so looking at really the big thing here is engagement um, and so much research has been done on how engaging and motivating children to read is a huge huge part of giving them any instruction and then don't forget that wide variety of text genre again moving away from just the novel informative texts are so so important in, in actual fact the majority of the reading we do as adults is reading for information and yet we spend an awful lot of time in the primary classes focusing on fiction and mm -hmm. the novel so making sure that over the course of that year you're using informational texts you're using historical fiction maybe and you're using uh, fictional texts as well yeah i think it's it's interesting all right about trying to engage them and because i would always say it's my goal to find a book for everyone in the class you know and again it doesn't have to be a novel doesn't have to be whatever and, you know, there are the kids who sort of say, you know, who take great enjoyment in saying, like, I don't like that book, you know, just just to be contrary. There are other kids who don't like the books, but I'd always say to them, I'm like, and particularly ones who feel like, oh, I don't like reading or I find it really hard. I, mm. You know, I think it's really important to, you know, what I always say to them is I'm like, that's not your fault. That's the book's fault. You know, no one's given you the right book yet. That's that's the problem there, yeah. you know, so it's not don't you know, and I say if I give you a book. I so said, you, you have to come to it with the right attitude. You have to give it a go. But if you're 20 pages into the book and you're like, this is terrible, then bring it back to me. Stop, you know, and, and yeah. don't, which, which I think some adults and some readers are quite bad at doing. I'm very bad at yes. leaving books that oh, I don't I like. Can't, you know? I do, I, I do. And I, and yeah, I don't know awful. why we do it because we don't do it with TV shows. You know, yeah, we don't no. do it with movies. You'd stop. But with a book, for some reason, you're like, 
I'm 200 pages into this 400 page going. book but I'm gone but it's stubbornness as well I'm the <laughs> yeah. exact same I'm like and then the, the, the reality is because I, I love reading I'm such a book nerd as well but like I'm, I'm missing out on all the time I yeah. could be spend, spending reading a book I really, really love because it take it could take me two weeks to read a book that I'm hating. And I, I don't know why I do it, but you know, that's a good little life lesson there. We wouldn't do it, we wouldn't make children do it. Why would we do it ourselves? And of course, the other thing I love is getting recommendations from them, oh, you know? And, and even so, just- They're so proud when they bring you in books for you to read. And then when you have that conversation with them, like it's actually, I'd say it's one of the highlights of my job, to be honest. Yeah, and just, just last year, <laughs> I'd never read the Breadwinner series oh. by Deborah Ellis, you know. And one of the girls yeah. brought; she was a new girl in my school. And the first day I was talking to her, and she brought one into me. And then, in fact, the year ended on like the third last day of school. I just found out that that most recent one, the fifth one, um, One More Mountain, had been released. So I got it for her, you know, and gave that to her at the oh. end. And she was like, "Oh my god, I didn't know it was out." And and so. And, and I now recommend them to loads. But then again, you, you sort of, it gives them, yeah, exactly, that real pride and that real feeling that, well, again, you're treating me with, with respect. Yeah. You know, you understand that my reading is just as valid as your reading, you know. It doesn't That's have great. to be. And, and again, I've always been a big fan of children's books. I still read a lot of children's books. You know, it doesn't have to be Hilary Mantel, you know, for it to be a good book. Even though, sorry, Hilary Mantel is amazing, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I nearly have a problem with the term children's book, to be quite honest with you, you know, because I think... You know, don't be silly. Yeah, you know? and a, a lot of children's authors would say that they don't particularly write for children. Yeah. It, it's it's they've been categorized by say publishers yeah. into yeah. a particular area to make it easier to sell. So, uh, yeah, a lot of authors are the same. But even that idea of you know, uh, the first couple of weeks get the children to bring in their favorite book and put it up in the class display mm, you know it's it's about idea. that books being all around us like your that point about their opinion and very often they're on the pulse they're going to share with you you know what what they're interested in and as I said some of it you'll disregard and go okay mightn't be you know suitable for the sixth class age but some of it is absolutely wonderful and and the whole area of graphic novels is mm. another huge area uh, particularly in the senior classes oh, you know to, to look at that interaction between the illustrations yeah. and the text and you know, very often they're disregarded as well sort of comic books they're you know mm. they shouldn't be at the senior end there are so many wonderful um, graphic novels mm. but lots of you know little ideas like uh, the book tasting is lovely I'm sure you've heard of that idea where you know again these are all lovely back to school pieces where you're trying to build those relationships with the children and just putting out tables with here's a table of just random graphic novels here's a table of informational texts and they literally just it's like speed dating for for book reading they sit down at the table and you know they five minutes and they start just jotting down any books it's a little bit like when we go into bookshops you know you open a book and you'll maybe read the first chapter or two and you kind of go no not for me I'll pick something mm. else and and I think that's a really important point don't make a child persevere no. if they're not enjoying the book because that's not going to help debate, cultivate that that love of reading so absolutely say to them well that that happens you know that mm. happens all the time let's see can you find something else and I should say at the junior end of the school those read alouds are really important mm. because we're trying to teach them how to read so they're reading texts themselves to become more proficient readers and we want that to happen at the senior level as well but the difference is they don't have the skills to read rich, sophisticated literature. So they can't necessarily pick up books like A Hungry Caterpillar and read it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And if they keep reading texts like I went to the vet, mm -hmm. the cat sat on the mat, 
they're not going to develop their vocabulary. They're not going to develop their sentence structure. So making sure we balance them doing the reading of those sort of simple decodable texts with ensuring then that we're, you know, as many times in the day as we can reading aloud to younger children so that they're developing that vocabulary. And then what we're hoping at the senior end is they have those skills. I know in many cases that isn't uh, what happens. And, and what again, we have our English language learners and, you know, children who've struggled at the junior end. And then those struggles become just monstrous at the senior end when they are expected to read for themselves. So making sure, particularly at the junior end, that you're balancing those decoding skills and to children practicing those but ensuring then is it the teacher you're supplementing with really rich sophisticated um even like if you think of the first line of the very hungry caterpillar and i'm going to read this out because i I always it's in the light of the moon a little egg lay on a leaf if you think of the language structure in that one sentence it's so rich uh, and it's not how we speak or how young children would speak in their everyday uh, interactions with other people so for them to hear language you know said in that manner and with lovely rich vocabulary that's hopefully going to improve and develop their vocabulary uh, as as you introduce and then of course you'll introduce incidental uh, vocabulary but you'll also want to pull out words that you want to explain to the children and you want them to learn as well so um that's just at the junior end but at the senior end what we're hoping is they end up doing most of the reading themselves Hmm. so one of the great things or one of my favorite things about english is you're doing english you're teaching english all day you could be doing a science lesson you're bringing in that um, information informational reading text and you can be doing geography and you can bring in a poem to it or you know so uh, it's it's one of the best things about um, literacy like you can bring in areas of literacy into every every lesson Absolutely. And I suppose it goes back to that idea of thematic teaching is so important, uh, particularly at the junior end of the school. But even for the older, like if you're hearing the same language, the same vocabulary across different subjects throughout the day, and the whole idea with vocabulary is it has to be repetitive. Children have to hear it up to, I think, about 12 times in order for that word to actually be committed to their their sort of mental lexicon. So if I'm only hearing a word once and you're saying, oh, this is a new word, this is the definition or the, the, the good old look it up in the dictionary, which research would show has very little benefits for children. They have to hear that over and over again. So if they can hear it in geography, if they can hear similar language brought in. And I think that's where those informational texts come in, Jane, that idea of, you know, if we're looking at bees or honey in in geography or environmental awareness, you know, if I can bring in an informational text, get the children to read that, you can infiltrate other subjects and bring literacy. uh, And one of my favourite things to say to children is, uh, is, I'm like, you don't even realise you're learning so many things here, you know? And, and that's the, like, the truth of the matter is we have so little time to teach literacy in an Irish context. Like the time that's given over to literacy is, is very small compared to other countries. And the likes of the US, they'll spend two hours a day on literacy blocks. Now we have Gaelga and there's literacy within Gaelga as well. So we have to put those two together. But still any opportunity you get to um, 
seep it into other subjects. Uh, we definitely want to grab as, as much literacy teaching as we can, but absolutely the other subjects. And particularly at the senior end, what they're doing is they're reading to learn. So now they have these big, heavy geography, science, history books, and I have to be able to read in order to learn. And that almost flips reading on its head when it gets into the senior classes because I'm expected, first yeah. of all, to be able to read. And again, we know that's not always the case either. We've many children coming up through the senior classes who have, in some instances, very low reading levels. Mm. Just to go back to where we started and talking about that five minutes at the end of the day where you might read aloud to the, to the children. Do you think it's important not to base any less lessons or instruction or activities off that that that's a totally I suppose pressure free listening environment you know because I think I definitely have a temptation to bring it up and talk about something or or maybe base some writing around it but do you think it's important that there is just a book that is just a book to listen to I would say yes. <laughs> I think we have a very rich kind of oral storytelling tradition in Ireland. And it's it's often the one time of the day where you'll hear a pin drop. Like it is amazing mm. how children love being read to and love hearing story. And that goes from junior infants right the way up to sixth class. I think if you can find the right book for the children. And again, it goes back to that purpose. Is this purpose just to create a lovely positive reading community within my class and and to to cultivate a, a love of reading i think well there's your purpose you know so i think it's really really valuable for them just to hear a text now that doesn't mean that you can't have conversations about it particularly if they're instigated by the children yeah you know you're not going to go no sorry <laughs> no questions pleasure only <laughs> <laughs> Enforced pleasure. Uh, so um, I think I think absolutely. And, and, you know, some of the books, well, a lot of really high quality books have really challenging themes mm. uh, and some. And, and that's the other thing I would always say, if you are reading a book aloud, please ensure you reread it read it and reread it yourself yeah. before introducing yeah. it to children. I mean, I just can't highlight that enough. Yeah. But I, I think it is a lovely a lovely way to build relationships I think it's a lovely way to create a sense of community in your class and like that like I said at the beginning it's what children remember they'll remember oh I remember when Mr O'Connor read or they'll think of the book and they'll associate it with you uh they won't necessarily go oh I remember those wonderful reading comprehension skills that uh, Mr O'Connor <laughs> passed on to me but but they will probably re uh, remember that read aloud yeah. so and would you have any advice for teachers in terms of planning activities around around a novel I mean and again just I'm thinking of examples I've used like when I yeah Animal Farm is particularly good for it I suppose because you have the character of Snowball who's who everyone thinks is a wonderful hero whereas who knows probably if he'd stayed around he mightn't have been great either but but he disappears and he's he's the most important character in the book and yet he's only there for 30% of it or something like that and so an activity I always get them to do is you know, you write a diary of Snowball after he's left Animal Farm, you know, in the in the five days afterwards, you know. And of course, then you have the challenge of, I, you know, I had one once and I got it back and they said, oh, well, I'm Snowball and I went to the beach and then I had an ice cream and then I did. And I was like, okay, okay. so we're, we're basing it on what we know about the character, you know, and right. what we exactly. think is going to, what we think yeah. that character's progression would be. Yeah. And I suppose there's there's art you can do, there's, there's um, 
you know, there's all sorts of different character profiles or, or, or your classic book review. There's always place for a book review at the end, certainly. Would there be any other activities that you think are particularly useful? I think drama is lovely to bring in as, as a methodology, looking at conscience alleys, you know, looking at sort of hot seating the character of Snowball. You know, very often what we end up doing is the children read something and then I have to write something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it becomes, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, and the worst of all is the, the, the summary at the end of every mm. chapter. I would completely and utterly avoid that because you get to the point where children are like oh god I'm coming to the last paragraph I know what I'm going to have to do now and And summarizing is really difficult it's a very difficult skill and again we assume children know how to summarize a text uh, without teaching them how to summarize Mm. a text so giving them lots of here's a small paragraph let's see can we pull out the main ideas? Can I write now a little concluding summary about what that paragraph... Again, we expect children to have read an entire chapter. And if you actually... What you should always do, I think, as a teacher is do the activity yourself. So if you're asking children to write a summary at the end of a chapter, do it yourself and see how easy it is. Because very often it ain't easy at all. And we're asking very young children who don't have the life experiences that we'd have as adults to do these in particular tasks. So anyway, back to the point. I think, yeah, drama is lovely because it's an oral language response. So trying to get different responses in, it's really going to depend on the novel you choose um, and the sort of tasks you want to bring in. So I think that point there about Snowball going off to the beach and, you know, went on his holidays and everything, yeah, it has to go back to evidence from the text. You know, why do you think this? And what is the text telling you that makes you think this? Mm. So constantly bringing it back to that uh, inferencing and drawing evidence from the text. So, okay, fair enough if he said he got on a plane, you know, I can make the inference that he went off and enjoyed a week in the sun or whatever. But if it doesn't say that, you know, can we really make that inference that that happened? So all of those comprehension strategies, vocabulary development is huge. Um, all that work on morphology, looking at prefixes, suffixes in the senior classes, those big multi-syllable words. Um, they're going to help me read those difficult words, but it's also going to help me understand those words. If, if I understand that the prefix un means not, you know, I can try and figure out what words mean. So we're trying to give them a lot of those strategies, but definitely try to ensure that the responses aren't always in written form, that they have other avenues, that they can even just talk, think, pair, share. They can do a little blog. Maybe they can do uh, an audio recording. And again, I can sort of differentiate those responses for different children within my class. There might be some, sometimes in the senior classes, I always think choice is huge. You know, maybe have a little tic-tac-toe and, you know, there might be six different responses uh, and they have to cross it off. So you can write a diary, you can do a little Mm. podcast, you could do, uh, and they have to cross it out each time. So it doesn't mean that they're picking the same thing. Mm. That's lovely, That's yeah. Very good. That, that is but they great. have an element of choice in how they'd like to, to respond. And in fact, it's funny because just another thing you've reminded me of is, I think, from a totally different character's point of view is another fun one to do. Like, so we um, were reading an extract from Silverfin, one of the young Bond books. And it's where Bond and this other boy dive into this river and they have a race across the river and but there are eels underneath them and so you know then I said all right well you know let's let's have some eel poetry you know so then suddenly everyone was writing poems 
from the perspective of the eel, you know, and they wrote the most amazing things, you know, they wrote these incredible stories of, you know, the eel, like some of them created this whole eel world under the river that had been wow. invaded by these, just these enormous legs, you know, that they didn't understand. And so I think that's another fun one as well, just because it's not really anything about the book or the story, but it's just, it's like giving you a, it's like giving you a stimulus image, I suppose, you know, it's just mm. a jumping off point, you know. Absolutely. And that's then a wonderful jumping off point for writing. You know, you could yeah, move yeah, that exactly. into then a little bit of narrative writing or a piece of poetry mm. based on it. So, yeah. So you can, you can see how for children, that's much more engaging and fun than write a summary at the end yeah. of every chapter, which yeah. you want to do that. Don't like summarizing is really important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I probably want to do it at some point over the course of the novel because it's a really nice way to assess, mm-hmm. well, do they get it? Mm. Are they understanding what they're reading? But just to avoid the... Mm. Uh, and when you hook them in like that, you can see the levels of engagement and you can still get them to bring in aspects of the story. Well, how do they describe maybe where the eels were living? So you can still bring in that little evidence from the text, but also allow them then the freedom to sort of, as you say, make it a springboard for their own yeah. imagination and their own creative writing as well. Mm. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Jen. I suppose we we bring guests on because we want to talk to someone who has expertise in a particular area, and you certainly have that. So thank you, uh, thank you so much for for talking to us. <laughs> look, you're you're out there in the classroom. You have all the expertise on the ground, absolutely. And look, uh, it's never an endeavor talking about literacy or or being a, a literacy nerd or book nerd for for a while. So no, it's been an absolute pleasure and lovely to talk to you and the very best of luck with the rest of the series no you're thank so you. good thank you and thank you for your support and just yeah that was a oh yeah I kind of felt like it was I kind of felt a mixture of you know being back in a lecture and listening to your expertise but then also it was such a lovely chat as well to just be able to get you know your your guidance um on, on life in the classroom so really really appreciate that yeah. no not at all look I hope it'll be of some uh, some use or some help anyway so no thanks a million so you can find Jen on Instagram at readwritejen um, you can also find her in Merino if you are thinking <laughs> if you're thinking about going back to college to private school teaching we both went back as mature students highly recommend it um, so yes you can also find her at Merino yeah and please rate and review the podcast we're still trying to grow the podcast so please let everyone you know about it if you know any teachers or parents or anyone else you think might be interested but thank you for listening listening and make sure you follow and subscribe and do all the things that people always ask you to do when uh, when you're listening to podcasts and you can also follow us at that'll teach you podcast on instagram and you can follow jane on instagram at the mindful teacher with a couple of underscores after it but um yeah thanks for listening we hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time bye bye, bye.